Hello everyone, uh, my name is Daniel and I'll be doing the Bible reading for us today. Uh, we're reading through um, Joshua in chapter 24 uh, and you can follow along in your handout. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges and officials of Israel and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand." Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jubasites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow, So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you will live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods, the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those, those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we travelled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord... And serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. 
But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath, Seir, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. And Eliezer, Eliezer, son of Aaron, died and was buried at Gibeh, Gibeh, which has been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. Thanks, Dan. Uh, well, uh, my name's Ben, and uh, we're going to look at uh, a whole chunk of Joshua today. We're going to go from chapter 9 through to chapter 24. Uh, so if you've got a Bible with you, uh, pull it out. It'll be of help, uh, and we'll have some stuff up on the PowerPoint as well if you haven't got one with you. Uh, but let me start by saying that it seems to me that we have a problem uh, On the one hand, uh, in our society, we long for rest. Uh, We live for the weekend where we can finally kick back and relax. Uh, We aim to own our own home, uh, maybe to get married, maybe have a family so that we can feel secure and finally rest. Although perhaps having small children, you might not get as much rest as you'd hoped for. More seriously, uh, over the past month, we've seen uh, many women around Australia longing for rest from the workplace harassment and the casual sexual harassment that they experience and just the constant sort of feeling of being on edge because they don't feel safe around any of the men around them. And one of the phrases I've seen cropping up again and again on social media, whether it's regarding sexism or racism or just life in general, is it's exhausting. We live, uh, or at least you do, uh, in a generation that feels increasingly anxious about life, where people are longing for emotional and financial and personal security, longing for rest, but unsure whether they'll ever actually get there, whether they'll ever actually experience it. So on the one hand, we're longing for rest. But on the other hand, we seem to be working harder than ever. 
Australians today are working longer hours than they ever have before. Uh, As I talk to you guys and notice how people are operating around uni, you seem to be working a lot harder than me and my friends ever did at uni. A lot of you are working part-time jobs, um, sometimes more than one, often more than one day a week. And some of you are very, very anxious about your studies. You're fearful of what might happen if you don't achieve at the highest level, uh, which delights the university because you're inclined to pay them more money to do further study to try and get further ahead. You're worried that you might miss out on something, uh, although it's not always easy to articulate what exactly that something might be. And I wonder if the two things might be related. Uh, Our longing for rest, and yet we feel like it's kind of up to us to get there. We're worried that we might never actually be good enough. We might never achieve at the highest level. We might never be found attractive by the person we want to find us attractive. We might never reach the point where our parents can say, hey, my daughter, my son, they've made it. that we might never reach that rest. Now, the book of Joshua gives us an account of how the nation of Israel entered their rest. Uh, And in the last chapter of the book that we've just read, uh, Joshua gathers the people of Israel together and he reminds them of all that the Lord has done to bring them into their rest. How he uh, took Abraham from beyond the Euphrates River over somewhere near what we would call Iraq today, uh, where he worshipped other gods, and he brought him into the land of Canaan. And 400 years later, God has kept his promise to bring Israel out of slavery in Egypt and safely into the promised land of Canaan. And throughout the rest of the book, there's this big exclamation mark over the theme of rest and the theme of the Lord's faithfulness. Now, Joshua uh, starts off as a super action-packed kind of book. Uh, We've got Rahab the prostitute hiding the Israelite spies in Jericho, uh, them scaling down the wall and escaping. We've got God stopping the Jordan River so that the nation can cross over and enter the promised land. Uh, We've got the walls of Jericho collapsing spectacularly. We've got Rahab's salvation and Achan's destruction. We've got the conquest of the land. And that builds and builds and builds. It's great stories. And then you sort of hit like nine chapters of property deeds right in the middle of the book of Joshua. And like, I'll admit, it's pretty boring. (laughs) Reading about the borders and the towns and all the little details laid out minutely for nine chapters. It is pretty boring, uh, which is why we're not really covering it uh, today. You'll be glad to know. (laughs) But it is worth saying that while it might seem boring to us, it actually wasn't to Israel, because to them and to God, what they're doing in these nine chapters of every little town that each tribe gets to have and where all the borders are and all that sort of stuff, is they're actually geeking out on God's faithfulness. Every border, every landmark, every village is a reminder of how God has kept his promise to them. God has kept his promise to give them rest. 
Uh, And chapter 21, verse 43 to 45, sums it up. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors, and they took possession of it and settled there. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their ancestors. Not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Over this period of 400 years, from the time that God first took Abraham and brought him into the land, all through their slavery in Egypt, God has remained faithful. Through all Israel's fears and anxieties, their ups and their downs, their sins and their failures, the Lord has kept his promise and he's finally given Israel rest. And at that point, you'd finish the book, wouldn't you? You'd sort of drop the mic, walk off stage, huge applause from the audience, because it's all done. And yet then we get three more chapters. Why? Well, uh, let's have a look at it. And these are the three chapters that we're going to focus on today, chapters 22, 23 and 24. Uh, At the start of chapter 22, we get the first of several question marks over the faithfulness of the people. So Joshua uh, summons the tribes from the east side of the Jordan, that's uh, Reuben, Gad and Manasseh, uh, the half, half of Manasseh, And these guys had actually got their land much earlier under Moses uh, before everyone else had crossed the Jordan. Uh, And so Joshua had told them back in chapter 1, verse 14, that although they already had their land east of the Jordan, they had to cross over as well and help the Western tribes secure their land. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Uh, And now at the end of the book, he summons them again. And he says, you have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. And you've obeyed me in everything I've commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave to you. So the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they have been faithful, and now they get to enjoy their rest alongside the other tribes. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest, as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Uh, But although they've been faithful so far, Joshua seems to feel the need to warn them. So he says in verse 5, Be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commands, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. God's been very faithful to these tribes. The tribes have been faithful so far, and yet there's this kind of question mark about will they remain faithful? They head back to their land uh, with the blessing of Joshua and the Lord to enjoy their rest. But then, verse 10, 
When they came to Geliloth, near the Jordan in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. And the rest of Israel goes, what? 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 What are you doing? There's only supposed to be one altar, and that's supposed to be in the tabernacle, the kind of portable temple that Israel has been carrying around all through the wilderness after leaving Egypt. And we've been told in chapter 18 that the tabernacle is not in Geliloth, it's in Shiloh. It seems that at the first opportunity, the eastern tribes have been unfaithful, that they've built this alternative altar over on their land. They seem to have rebelled at the first opportunity. And so, verse 11, when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Geliloth, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Uh, Before they do actually go and attack them, though, they send a delegation composed of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the high priest, and they send a representative from each of the ten tribes on the west side of the Jordan. And they say to them, How could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him now? And it becomes apparent that the western tribes are actually terrified that the eastern tribes are no longer faithful. That instead of the rest they were hoping to enjoy, actually all of Israel is going to end up experiencing the wrath of God just like they experienced when Achan rebelled uh, back in chapter uh, 7 and 8. But then it actually turns out that the eastern tribes have been faithful. They weren't being unfaithful at all. They were just worried that the western tribes were going to be unfaithful and that the western tribes would lead the eastern tribes to be unfaithful. So we read... Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, the mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows, and let Israel know. If this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, We did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you Reubenites and Gadites. You have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That's why we said, let's get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it's to be a witness between us And you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we said, if they ever say this to us or to our descendants, we'll answer, look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our ancestors built not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and to turn away from him from building uh, an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings and sacrifices, other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. 
When Phinehas the priests and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of the Israelites, heard what Reuben, Gad and Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, said to Reuben, Gad and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us, because you have not been unfaithful to the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. And so the Western tribes call off the war. Um, And the Reubenites, the Gadites, uh, give the altar this name, a witness between us that the Lord is God. So the Lord has been faithful to Israel. And actually, the tribes of Israel have been faithful to him. But both sides of the Jordan are worried that the other side is not going to be faithful. And Joshua seems to have some concerns as well. So chapter 23, he says, The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand, because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, And if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. See, Israel are in the good land that God has promised them. But if they're unfaithful, they won't stay there. God will kick them out. But surely you think, after all that God has done for Israel, surely they'll be faithful to him, won't they? I mean, why on earth would you worship another god after all that he has done, all the amazing stuff they've seen after coming out of Egypt? Who in their right mind would possibly turn away from the Lord? Who would worship anything else? And the answer is Israel. (laughs) In chapter 24, after recounting how the Lord has been faithful to all his promises... Joshua urges Israel again, and you can see this in your handouts, uh, chapter 24, verse 14. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And you think, wait, what? Hang on a minute. Did he say throw away the gods... That your ancestors were. Do you mean that like 40, 50 years after the Lord's brought them out of Egypt, they've still got like Egyptian idols with them that they're worshipping? Over 400 years after he brought 
Abraham out from beyond the Euphrates. They've still got idols from beyond the Euphrates that they're worshipping? Yes, they do. It's extraordinary, but they're still worshipping foreign gods, even after all that the Lord has done for them. Joshua goes on in verse 15. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. We would never do anything like that. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we travelled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Will Israel be faithful? We will, they reply. And Joshua says, you can't. Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we'll serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we're witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. But will they? The Lord's been faithful to them, but will Israel be faithful to the Lord? Will they get to enjoy his rest forever? Verse 25, on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. (coughs) It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. (coughs) Israel now have plenty of reminders of the Lord's faithfulness and of their promise to be faithful to him. They keep setting up stones everywhere to remind them. Back in chapter 4, they set up the stones that they took out of the Jordan River when they crossed over there. Um, they have the pile of rocks that is piled up over the body of Achan when he rebelled against God. They have this altar now that is built on the banks of the Jordan uh, by the eastern tribes to remind them to be faithful. And now they have this stone set up by Joshua to remind them of their promise to be faithful. So they've got plenty of reminders. But will they be faithful? The Lord has been faithful to them, but will they be faithful to the Lord? Will they continue to enjoy the rest that he promised?
And as you read the rest of the Old Testament, you discover that the answer is no. No. In fact, uh, in the very next book, the book of Judges, Israel rebel, the surrounding nations conquer them, the Lord rescues them, and then they rebel again. And the whole thing just keeps spiralling down and down and down into sin and chaos and horror. The Lord is faithful. He rescues his people, but his people aren't faithful to him. He gives them a king and they experience a high point under David and Solomon, but that doesn't last either. They keep rebelling against the Lord. They worship foreign gods and they end up being exiled from the land, cast out from the rest that God had promised them, exiled by Assyria and Babylon. And again, God is faithful and he rescues them and brings them back. But they remain under the power of Persia and Greece and Rome. They keep rebelling and so they never enjoy the rest that he promised. Which raises the question for us, has God's plan failed? Yes, God is faithful, but his people are just too broken, too sinful, to ever be able to enjoy his rest. Well, the author of Hebrews picks up the theme of rest in chapters 3 and 4 of his book there. And he points out that the rest that God had planned for his people was actually never intended to be limited to the land of Canaan. So he quotes Psalm 95 Uh, where King David, writing long after Joshua, warns Israel not to be like the generation that rebelled against God after they left Egypt. Otherwise, they'll end up like them and they'll never enter God's rest. And at that point, you should go, but hang on a minute. David's writing Psalm 95 to the people of Israel. Aren't they in the rest? Like, they're actually in the land at the point that he's writing them. How can he say, if you rebel, you won't enter God's rest? And the author of Hebrews says, that's my point. (laughs) They were only ever enjoying a shadow of it. Here's what he says. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. He's talking about the seventh day of creation at this point. And so he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. The land of Canaan was never the full rest that God intended. It was only a signpost, a shadow pointing to the reality that was to come the rest of permanent, right relationship with God. Rest from the power of sin and death. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
This is the rest that the author of Hebrews is talking about. This is the rest that God was pointing towards with the land of Canaan. Rest from our effort to try and prove ourselves before God. Rest from the fear that we might never be good enough. Apart from Jesus, we are no better than Israel. We would continue turning our back on God. But Jesus never did that. He lived the life of faithfulness to God that we couldn't. He died the death that we deserve and he rose to life again and now sits resting at the right hand of God in heaven. But he does more than that because Jesus also pours out his Holy Spirit to not just forgive us but to transform us so that when Jesus, Yeshua, the better Yeshua, than Israel had in the Old Testament, when he warns us to be faithful, to not turn away like Israel did, we listen and we obey. Not because we're so great, but because, as Paul says in Philippians, because it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This is the thing that changes with Jesus. There's forgiveness brought for all our rebellion against God and there's transformation as he pours out his Holy Spirit. Because of what Jesus has done, we can be faithful to the Lord as he has been faithful to us. If we slip up, we can be confident of his forgiveness. But the New Testament warns us that if we turn away, we will perish just as Israel did. The difference is that if you have the Spirit, you'll listen to the warning. You won't turn away. So we can rest confidence that not one of all the Lord's good promises to us will fail. Everyone will be fulfilled. And that we will get to enjoy God's rest in the new creation, in the land that Canaan was only a shadow of. Rest from sin and evil and sickness and death, from fear and anxiety, from all the evils of our present age, brought in safely, permanently, by Jesus, our better Joshua, who not only saves, but transforms. So, let me warn you, Choose today for yourselves whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great kindness to us in sending Jesus, the better Joshua, to bring us safely into the rest that you have promised us. We pray that you would work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that we would heed your warning, that we would cling to you, that we would be faithful to you as you have been faithful to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Probably got a couple of minutes. Uh, So if you want to ask a question, this is your chance. This is our last talk on the book of Joshua. Uh, So go for it.
Eliza. Um, she's making those that have the Holy Spirit um, yeah, I mean, that does sort of raise that question, but uh, I think the Bible doesn't answer it in quite those terms. Uh, it says, um, if you are cocky and you think, ah, you know, I've, I've prayed a prayer, I got baptised, I can do whatever I like, and uh, Jesus is sort of obligated to save me, it says, whoa, 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 just back up the truck, be very, very careful, you're on dangerous ground. Um, but if you're worried, if you're anxious that, oh, no, maybe I'm, I'm not good enough, I, I can't quite hang on, maybe, maybe I'm not strong enough, it says, don't worry, Jesus has got you, the Holy Spirit is working in you, listen to his warning, hang on to him and he'll hold on to you. I think that, that's how it answers it rather than the sort of, do they have the Holy Spirit or not? That's, that's not open to us to see. Um, but you can be confident that if you're trusting in him, uh, you do have the spirit. So keep trusting in him. But doesn't it say that though, there's the, in the Philippians, maybe it's um, the Holy Spirit is a guarantee yeah. mm-hmm. of our, in heaven, heavenly inheritance? Yeah. So if you turn away, you'll work out to do that in heavenly inheritance? I think that's probably the right conclusion. Yeah, okay. Put it that way, yeah. And in some ways, it's, it's not a relevant question in a sense in that, what do I do? Do I need to work out if I have the Holy Spirit or something? No, just keep trusting in Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does, is he enables you to trust in him. So keep trusting in him. He'll hold on to you.